The Ambitious Mum Podcast. Different women, different lives, different ambitions. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and every week I'll be having honest conversations about ambition, motherhood, and everything in between. We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent. And I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices, and the sheer grit and perseverance working mums don't talk about. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the Ambitious Mum podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef, I'm your host, and this is episode seven. So thank you for for coming back or welcome if this is your first time. Um, Before we touch on this week's guest, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everybody that got in touch about last week's guest, Liz Taylor. Um, I know that her episode really touched quite a lot of you and I think that her rawness, her authenticity and her vulnerability really shone through during the episode and um, made it really um, enjoyable to listen to. But I also think that Liz got quite a lot out of it as well. So um, she was telling me that she got lots of positive messages. And I think it just sort of shows that people just enjoy hearing authenticity and vulnerability and that no one is perfect. And um, no matter how you know far we are along with our business, what stage we're at in life, Um, We can always learn more. We can always evolve as people. And the most important thing is to um, is to to be as vulnerable as you can so other people can support you and learn from you and um, evolve with you. So thank you, Liz, for that. Um, This week's episode um, features an amazing woman called Cody Kapari, and I really enjoyed speaking to Cody. Her story is definitely fascinating highly inspiring and just shows that um, really from any adversity we can create something quite special if we have the right mindset and um, steadfast self-belief, determination and um, and Cody certainly has that. So her story is really interesting. What I do need to just put a quick caveat at the beginning of the, the episode is that due to my very uh, limited audio and podcasting skills, I'm learning on the job, um, I didn't turn the microphone on as loudly as it should have been. So I've had a bit of a slap on the wrist from my editor, Faith, and I now know that um, turning on the volume of the microphone is essential. So it was on, but it just wasn't on high enough. So what I would suggest is when you listen to it after this intro, just turn up your volume slightly and hopefully you'll be able to, to hear well enough and um, hear Cody's story because it's definitely one uh, not to miss. So I really hope you enjoy it. And as ever, your feedback is um, really, really um, needed, I guess, because um, I learn from it and I learn what you find interesting and what you don't. And also it really helps the guest as well. So if you can leave me your feedback, review, share, especially if you know anyone that's going through some um, difficult times at the moment, and especially if they are not quite sure how to get out the other side and they're suffering, this is definitely uh, a highly motivating podcast for them to listen to. So never be afraid to to drop a a message to somebody with a link to a podcast, because I do that a lot. I learn so much from different podcasts. That's how we open the audience up and, and, you know, reach further and wider. So you are helping me and helping lots of other people as well. So I hope you enjoy. And here is my conversation with Cody. 
Hi, Cody. Hello. I've got Co Cody Gapari here, and I'm really excited about this conversation. I think you've got an amazing story to tell. Thank you. And I think that everyone out there will be really inspired by it as well. I mean, I think we'll just cut to the chase. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And um, I know that you weren't born in the UK, you're from Zimbabwe. Yep. And tell me a little bit about yourself. You've got two children. Yeah, so I I was obviously born and uh, grew up in Zimbabwe. I came to the UK in 2004. Um, and uh, I've got two kids. I've got uh, two boys, 19 and 12, Panache and Takunda. Basically, I now have launched a beauty brand called Silas. Okay. Um, I'm hoping it's one of many uh, in that um, in that brand uh, that I'm going to launch. And yeah, um, let's backtrack a little bit. Yes. So you are you were you're a mother of two, yes. and you were working in a totally different industry. What, what what were you working in? Where were you working? So I was a data in an analyst in a fleet management company. Okay. So nothing to do with makeup, nothing to do with beauty, uh, totally different. And this was 2014. And um, I, I wanted to go and do law because growing up, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. And mm. I'd sort of like really worked really hard to get enough points to get into uni. So I'm... I found a lump in, in my breast and I then... This was in 2004? This is in 2014. 14, sorry. 10 years yes. after I came. Um, and I went to Leighton Hospital. I was referred to Leighton Hospital. They did a biopsy and they said, you need to come back 10 days from now to get your results. And it just coincidentally, it just so happened that the 10th day was the day that I had my interview at Manchester Metropolitan to go to uni. To study law. To study law. And because I had managed to convince myself that it couldn't possibly be cancer, I was only 36, I ate right, I exercised, I was not overweight, I was, you know, all the things, there was no history of cancer in my family. It was easy to persuade myself that, you know what, this is nothing. And how old were your boys at this time? Uh, my boys were, uh, Taku was about, he was about seven and she was about 14, so they were quite young, yeah. and I was a single mom at the time. And because I was so, because when I came over here, I'm one of seven, and I'm the fifth child, proper a middle child. Uh, when I came here, I had to learn to grow up and to stand on my own, and, to, and then here I am, a single mom with two kids to look after. You know, it's like my family back home. Do you have any family here at all? Was everyone back um, in Zimbabwe? I've got extended family that's here, but then my actual next of kin, like my close family, mm. all in Zimbabwe. So I decided that I wasn't going to cancel my interview at MMU because why would I? Because I'm just going to get my results and then go for my interview. And then I walked in, and the reason I was so shocked was because I wasn't expecting a cancer diagnosis because I wasn't mentally prepared for it mm. because I didn't think it was... So instead of sitting there and talking about my treatment plan, I then kind of just ran out of the room and I drove to Manchester for my for my interview. Um, but then I always say, you know, it's like that day was the 14th of August, 2000, um, the 11th of August, 2014. It just became a very pivotal point in my life because I made a decision that was 
bigger than anything I'd ever done in my life. Here I was, my mortality had just been challenged and I didn't miss a beat. I still followed a dream that I had from way before this happened. Mm. And it's always a place where I come back to when I doubt myself or when things are not well, because if I could do that on that day, what could I do on a day like this when it's nice and sunny? Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. Thank you. Um, so you were told that you, you, you've been given the cancer diagnosis yeah. and you went and had your interview. What happened then? So I had my interview. The last question that they asked, probably everybody gets asked this question, is there anything that you know that might interfere with your study at the college or impact your study? And I had to say, probably the first time they would have had this, um, I just got diagnosed with cancer this afternoon. <laughs> that might have a bit of an impact. Wow. So I left thinking I'd blown my chances, um, but I did get in. Anyway, cut story short, I did start my studies, but I had to drop out because I just couldn't do it all. I had to stay in work full time because I was looking after my kids. I had to start treatment and I had to study and I had to look after the kids. And it just became too much. I'm not superwoman. Yeah, no one's superwoman. How did that have an impact on you sort of mentally dealing with all of that? For me, I remember the day that I came home and made the decision before I told the university when I actually made the decision that I'm going to have to stop. I felt like I had let myself down. I felt like I'd let my kids down and I thought, God, I've done everything. I've gone over and above the call of duty to get to this point because I truly believe if you didn't want me to get here, you wouldn't have let me get into uni. And now I'm letting everybody down because I'm having to flood. And I cried and I was just like, you are such a failure. So you went to all that trouble only to pull out. Isn't that crazy how we can speak to ourselves? Yeah. How badly we can speak to ourselves. We'd never speak to anyone else that way. Exactly. And and just as we can build ourselves, we can absolutely destroy ourselves with no one in the room, just you. You absolutely take yourself from zero to zero. And I did that on that day. And I went to work and my thing became, because I needed something. After that was taken away from me, I needed something to lean on to, to sort of like to put my pin on so I could I, I don't blow with the wind. And yeah. my thing became lipstick and heels. Mm. I decided that I was going to get up in the morning, get dressed up, put on the most outrageous makeup, wear purple, blue, pink, gold wigs, and wear dresses. On, dre- <laughs> on days when I was going for chemotherapy, I would be wearing sequins and, and feathers, and I would be like looking like I was going to a wedding. And what that did for me was it took attention away from the treatment and it started being about how I looked. Mm. And it, it sounds like a small thing and it sounds like something vain, but then there are times when whatever you can hold on to mm. to stop from falling, it's enough. And for me at that time, that was enough uh, because I, did, I, I never wanted me, because I still worked because I had to work throughout my treatment and I never wanted cancer to become the main focus of who I was. I, cancer was a chapter in my life. It wasn't going to be what I was going to be known for. I was never going you to be the girl you. that was, that had cancer. Did they know in your work that you were going through treatment? 
my workers, it was a very small company and everybody had to know because they we, we had to sort of like make provisions. There were times when I couldn't get into work because after chemotherapy, I couldn't be around other people and stuff. So we were, we were such a tight family and most of the people are we still very close. Uh, my, my manager, uh, Ross Jackson, is still to this day, he's my mentor. And he was amazing during that whole time. Had I worked for another company, I probably would have struggled. So, yeah, it, it was necessary for people in work to know, but then the clients outside didn't need to know. And I don't think any of them ever knew. Some of my neighbors didn't even know because they just thought, oh, there you go again with the blue week this time. But they <laughs> didn't realize. And it was during that time with me trying to look my best and trying to hide any, any signs of cancer that I realized that when my lashes, initially they were sort of like fell out and they were like massive gaps. And I went and I bought a pair of lashes and when I put them on, obviously you you, you attach them to your yeah. own lashes. When I took them off, they took whatever little lashes oh. I had left. And then I went and bought some more. And this time there was nothing to rest the, the yeah. horse lash on. And it just didn't stay in place and it kept drooping and it was really hard to find your lash line. So was this, were your eyelashes, was that like your the finishing look of how you, you felt when you got your, your makeup armour on? I guess that makeup and the hair and it was like your armour to the outside world. Uh, absolutely, because I could hide everything about this disease. I could hide my hair because I had a wig on. Eyebrows, I could draw them on. But because when people speak to you, they look in your eyes. The first thing they notice is you don't. So people will be like talking to you, and then halfway through the sentence, like, "Oh my God, what what happened to your lashes?" And it it's always and it's ne it, it was never coming from a nasty place. It was literally somebody would. It's, yeah, it, it's like a double take. Yeah, and and even when people didn't ask, you could see see somebody talking to you, and then they would just go like that, and you realize they've suddenly realized something about me. And then people were saying, when I was asking the nurses and stuff, and I was in chat rooms, people were saying, just draw a, a black line where your lash line is with the eyeliner. What, the nurses were saying there? Yeah, the okay. nurses and the other people in chat rooms, the people who didn't have lashes. And when I went and I did that, it made it worse because then attention is being drawn to your mm. eyes because now you've got this very dark line where your lashes should be. And it made it obvious that I didn't have lashes. So I thought, yeah. There has to be another way. Um, and that's when the quest for sea life started. Never as a business idea, but as a personal thing for me, I wanted to make a lash for me so that I could wear lashes. So when you were thinking this, you were thinking, I just need this product for me right now. There was yeah. no kind of, oh, I'm going to do this. And No, okay. I, I just thought, if I can figure a way of making these lashes so I can wear these lashes and I... I can buy normal lashes and then tweak them a little bit and then just put on my lashes. Mm. And I sat on my dining room table and I was doing this and I started with sellotape. That's <laughs> really how it started. And then I was thinking, you know, Richard Branson talks about making sketches at the back of an envelope. That's yeah. literally what I was doing. Um, and then I kind of thought, oh my God, this is it. Because for me, I started with, because I've been in chat rooms, I've been desperate and I'm looking for something. So I'd, I had heard all the problems that people were having with lashes. So I had a list of 
all the things that I need that I needed this life to solve. Okay. So you're almost doing like all the research and you're yeah, finding and out I, about your audience by and, default. And I didn't know because I'd never run a business before. So I didn't know that I was doing market research, yes. but I was. <laughs> um, so I started with the problems. So what are the problems? So for me, it didn't matter what the life actually looked like. Did it solve every single one of these problems? Mm. And when I had a life that did that, I knew. And then my friend, my, a friend of mine came and she, 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 she had alopecia and she said to me, do you know if you sold, if you sold me that life, I'd buy it? I was like, really? And she said, yeah. And she went away and I thought, hmm, actually, what if I brought a product to market? You just give me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I thought, what are the chances of a girl who's grew up thinking that she wasn't very bright, never run a business before, never even been a supervisor in a, in a company, actually bringing a product to market? And I said, this is absolute bonkers, <laughs> so I'm going to do it. <laughs> The Ambitious Mum, the podcast about ambition, motherhood, and everything in between. Did you have anyone in your family that you could look to, anyone that had worked in business before? Or no, okay. absolutely. I had no, like my whole family were workers, like blue collar workers, never had anybody that I was close to that had ever run a business like that, or any, you know, it's like the, the closest that I had was my ex-husband, who's like still a very, very good friend all sort of like had run businesses before in the past. And, you know, it's like it was something when he was, he, he had a time when he was helping people to set up businesses mm. and and I would watch him doing all these things. So there was sort of like probably the back of my mind, like a curiosity, but mm. never a burning desire to do it myself. And then my, my, my focus shifted from not just the beauty, but then now, going on Google, trying to find out about prototyping, writing a business plan. And I couldn't go and ask for help because I knew this was a new idea and I didn't want to tell people. And I didn't I didn't even think that it was, it was so far-fetched as an idea and as a concept and as something that was actually a runner. Mm. That I didn't actually think that I could do it. So, but what it did was it took my attention away from the pain and that was enough. Anything to get me stopping from stopping me feeling sorry for myself was absolutely welcome. So you were still going through the treatment while yeah okay yeah at this point I was going through treatment so I went through so my way of dealing with cancer was to never actually Google symptoms whatever was put in my body I I used to say to my nurses and my doctors you study the human body you understand mm. my job is to do what you tell me and to be positive and, mm. and to want to leave. You do your job because if I start to question what you do, I, I've got another thing to deal with that I haven't got capacity to deal with. So I never questioned. I just believe that this is, I am I am in the, in, in the right hands and I was. So I, I then decided the second part of chemotherapy was really, really hard because my bones ache mm. all the time. And it felt like I had like a thousand little men with sledgehammers just banging away inside me. And because they used to give you steroids, you can't go to sleep. So you can't even escape the pain with sleep. But if I sat there with my 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 laptop on Google, 
trying to find out about lashings and beauty and how to I, I was I was in a world of my own. I didn't feel the pain. Whilst trying to navigate all the legalities and the NDAs and all the absolutely. things that you have to Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, it's like my first um NDA I had to download it off, off um off Google and then sort of like tweak it to suit what I was trying yeah. to, to be like my own and you know it's like I, I didn't even know a prototype was called a prototype so I, I had to type the thing that you do if you want to <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it was the most weird searches that I would do on Google so if people... it's so inspiring to hear because um do you know the the company Spanx yes so I was reading an interview about um, the founder of the, the lady who created Spanx, Sarah Blakely, I think her name is. And she it's this a very similar story. And um, hopefully you'll have the same amount of success that she's had. And she said she sat at her kitchen table. She didn't tell anyone about it because she thought she'd be laughed at by all her friends and family. And she started her prototype was cutting a, a pair of tights and, um, you know, creating the shape that she wanted. Yeah. Um, and she, that was her prototype. So the fact that you sat there with, sell, with sellotape and, you know, you've got to start somewhere. You've got, and, and absolutely. And the thing is, I always say, you know, it's like I always talk about lessons from the canvas because for me, I spend more time on the canvas than, you know, it's like fighting ring than actually on my feet because, because I wasn't being led by anybody who knew what they were mm. doing. I made every single mistake mm. in the book. So I always say to people, and people say, tell us how you became successful. I say, I don't know how I became successful, but I know how I failed because I am so familiar with every single knock that I got because it was knock after knock after knock. But I think for me, the saving grace was the knocks didn't, were not, nothing was as hard as chemotherapy. So come at me any day, every day, I can take it mm. as long as I can escape this pain. Yeah. And that was that was the thing that kept me going. And by the third time I got to the other side, April 2016, when I'd finished treatment, 15, sorry, I, I had a business plan mm. that didn't look like a business plan because it was my own version of a business plan. I had all the facts and figures about cancer. I had all the facts and figures about the beauty industry and you know, it's like I knew every single eyelash manufacturing company, um, the supplying company in the UK. And, you know, it's like I had a lot of information. I got passionate about it. And I would stand in front of people and just talk about these lashes for hours. Mm. Um, and then when it came to actually making a prototype, at this point, it, it was starting to be serious to me. I started to realize there's actually really a need for this because mm. people were not speaking to people. They were showing there was a need. And don't forget, I'm still looking after these two boys, and I'm still single, and I'm still having to go and to still work. Working, yeah, yeah. Um, so I then decided that I was going to get a prototype. I went and looked. The only places that you could get prototypes for lashes was in China, and you know the Far East, you know Korean stuff like that. Two reasons I didn't go with that. The biggest and the main reason was funding. I didn't have funding. Nobody would touch me. They, I was the Poster child of what, how not to start a business and mm. who not to fund. So nobody. According to who? Um, according to you know, it's like businesses follow a certain path, and you have to satisfy certain things when you go into business. And I was going into an industry that I knew nothing about. I was starting a product that nobody else had ever attempted to bring to market. 
Um, I had been taught point blank that we're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Um, Were these men telling you this? Yes, yes. But then at the end of the day, the frustrating thing is these people are the decision makers. And as much as you can sit there and stomp your foot and say it's not fair, they're not going to give you the money. So what Mm. are you going to do about it? So I, I... I then realized China was out of the way um, because the IP laws in China and Korean stuff were very different from ours. And I was very, very protective of my idea. And then the second thing that I thought was, if these lashes were going to be made with all these big companies, they would have made them by now. So why would I go and ask people who haven't done this in years to help me to do this? They're only going to tell me why it couldn't be done. So... Mm. Don't tell me the 53,000 reasons why something can be done. Tell me the one reason how we can do it. So I decided I was going to go to a company in Southern on Sea called Cube3. They're an engineering company. They don't deal with beauty. They have three guys, the whole company is three guys <laughs> who never, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. who can't even tell the difference between a gloss and a lipstick. But they weren't in China. And they weren't in China. They were in the UK. <laughs> exactly. Nice and easy. So I called them and I said, I would like you to make a prototype. I was like, oh, well, well thinking maybe I found a new way of, you know, it's like protecting cars. Or anything. <laughs> I was like, um, I would like you to make me some lashes. And they laughed. And I was like, do you know what we do? And I said, yep, I've done my research. I know there's three of you and I know your names. You're Simon and this and the other. And, and this is what you do as a company. Well, you know nothing about lashes. I know nothing about lashes. Together, we're going to create a life that nobody has ever seen before. So this is where I'm coming from. I don't want anybody with preconceived ideas to oh, tell me what to do. Okay. Because you, tr- you were trying to create something that hadn't been created before. So you thought, let's yeah. just start from a blank canvas. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're going to, if, if I came to you with my business plan and what you do is look at business plans every day, mm. the first thing that you're going to do is to tell me what's wrong and what's right with that. I didn't want to hear it. I just, this is what I need to create. Don't tell me it can't be done. Just do it. Um, and to be fair to these guys, I would drive up to Southern Noon Sea to have meetings on them and I'd find them with lashes on and <laughs> <laughs> testing them and everything. They were really committed. And I, I, honestly, they were amazing. Um, so we made this prototype, and we in the middle of making this prototype. Meanwhile, I am knocking on doors like a mad woman. What I'd done, actually, in 2015, I had seen Richard Branson brought out Pitch to Rich. It was a bit like Dragon's Den, but it was online. So okay. you pitch your idea online. People would vote on the idea. And then if you were sort of like top 10, something, you yeah. would get mentorship and, and money. I found out about this a week before it was... It was due to finish, um, to submit. Um, And I ended anyway, knowing full well that I was never going to succeed. But what I wanted was credibility because I knew if I aligned myself with a virgin brand, Mm. people would stop thinking I was a jock and start taking me seriously. It was like a small thing that I was holding on to because anything for me was was worth it. I, I was desperate to be taken seriously. I was desperate to be listened to. So I thought, if people were to see me on a virgin website, mm. you know, with, with Richard Brand, Branstein, 
think they're gonna stop and think and it did that to a certain extent because you know it's like I had uh, the boys got in touch and they did so what story. happened so you you entered for the the Richard Branson and then where did you come with that how did it I pitched my idea I told people my idea I had quite a few people actually going on there and saying voting for it and saying it's a it's a brilliant idea but two things is the first thing was my idea was sort of like it was just such a new idea to people Anybody who's not gone through cancer would not even understand mm. the trouble that somebody with no lucky would go through. So it, it was an idea that only someone who understood or would walk the path would understand. So I was asking people who, to imagine something. You know, it's like walking on Mars. You see, that's interesting there. because as a woman, for me, you know, even if I haven't put my mascara on, I feel completely like my face is like oh and I put my mascara on I'm like okay I've kind of looked semi-healthy now yeah absolutely so I'm, I'm surprised that women didn't grasp that straight away I think it's it's not that they didn't grasp I think everybody just thought there are lashes on the market mm. you can just put lashes on if you really wanted to okay and I think that's that's what the general idea had been for years because even when you went, you would be told, you know, it's like, just buy lashes. And people were like, oh, we'd have to use, you know, it's like really, really strong glue. Okay. And it take it peels away your skin when you take it off and stuff like that. So a lot of people, that's why a lot of people with alopecia just choose not to wear lashes because mm. it just is really difficult. So I, so for, for the, fa- the fact that I didn't think I knew enough about pitching to connect with my audience, I didn't really get far. And because I'd ended the competition late, the voting had already started, I really didn't end. But I, I knew anyway. For me, it wasn't about winning. It was about trying to get credibility. It, it, it sounds silly now when I look back, but in a way, I'm, I'm glad I did it because, you know, it's like that newspaper article came out and it did a lot for people to sort of like stand up and listen because mm. they then from a pitch like... um. 10, 10 lines of a pitch on a, on a website with a lot of other really amazing ideas to a really sort of like a whole page with me with no hair and telling my story. And the impact of that had a massive change. All of a sudden, I had people who sort of like invited me to sort of like come and talk. And I was sort of like knocking on doors now, you know, super drug, uh, Asda, Sainsbury, everyone. And I guess it gave you the confidence as well. Absolutely. It was the first time somebody gave me a nod, like, we hear you. Mm. you you're not mad. You actually are you're onto something here. So it, it was all I needed. Like, I needed that fuel. Uh, and at this point, I decided with that little bit of confidence, I decided that I was going to enter some competitions and pitch myself against other people, see how well I do. Were your boys aware of what you were doing at the time? They were because it became a massive big elephant that was my life became silly. Okay. You know, there were posters on the wall encouraging myself. They were like in the morning I'd be like dancing and listening <laughs> to Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> so it, it needed because I didn't have anybody to motivate me, I had to find a way to motivate. So my living room was full of all these affirmations like you're great, you can do this and and, and, and sea lash and, and I had my, uh, I, I went on and I first uh, on the cover of Forbes and I put it <gasps> on my wall. Oh my and God, just like that. <laughs> so you're probably like 
channeling the vis- visualizations, the affirmations, all these things yeah, that yeah, because I've got scientific evidence that it actually works. Yeah, because I didn't have anybody to tell me, you know, it's like keep going. It was just me. And you know, it's like when friends and family, they kind of they, they they support you because they know that this is keeping you sane and this is yeah um you know when people allow you to go on X Factor and, and you sound really bad because they're your family and they love you really it was that they were sort of like they were just being nice to me. Well, did you feel like they were sort of feeling sorry for you and you've gone through cancer? Oh and yeah, they, you need to... it wasn't it wasn't like they 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 were hiding it. They were like you know. Come, we, we <laughs> As long as this is gonna, this isn't gonna cost us a lot of money. We we know it's a good hobby. At least you're not drinking or anything yeah. like that. So you know, good on you. But th- there was that. Hmm. This is bringing an idea to market. Do you know who you're up against? You're up against a billion dollar market that is very well established. And you know, it's actually something that I hear quite a lot, and you read a lot about entrepreneurs who you know, tell their friends and family last about what they're doing yeah, because they don't need that negativity and they know who who they're going to get the negativity from and who they're going to get the, the judgmental comments from. And sometimes it's easier just to to not have that going on. And, yeah. And you're obviously keeping your head down. And doing do, what I had yeah. to. To be fair, my family wasn't negative. They just didn't encourage me. Okay. So if if I needed to sort of like, bounce off an idea and stuff like that, they will give me like um like a true reflection of how they felt without sort of like knocking me because I think at that time they had to be I, I was still playing the cancer card. You can't be nasty to somebody who's just <laughs> who's just survived cancer. So they they were very objective in their way of looking at things and very honest with me. And in a way I think that was good for me because if I could convince them I could convince the world out there. Mm. So they were my first bridge that I had to cross. Um, and sometimes, yeah, I, I would hide things from them because there, there are times when you just want somebody to just go, go on, girl, you're doing right. And then there are times when you want an honest opinion and then I would go and, and take that. Um, anyway, from there, I ended a few competitions. I won um, Northridge had a salt to stand. That was the first competition that I ended. And I went on there. I was so scared that I had to, when I got, because we were downstairs and upstairs was where you had to pick your, your idea, I couldn't get up the stairs, I was shaking. When I got up the stairs eventually, I had to sit down because my legs wouldn't hold me up. And then I went and I picked my idea. But when I start talking about Silas, the world disappears. It's me and Silas. So from being scared walking into this room, the minute my PowerPoint came on, I was looking at my PowerPoint for a good three seconds. I didn't turn round. And I was talking while I was looking. And by the time I turned round, I had changed. Mm. I was sealish. And I just delivered my pitch. And Because you believed in it so I much. I believed in it. And it didn't matter whether they believed it in or not. I did. And those were all the people I needed to believe it in the world. Um, and other people had been in the room like quite a long time. I, I think I pitched for like about less than 10 minutes, they asked me questions, and I was in and out in 15 minutes. And I came home, and my ex-husband said, how did it go? And I said, they didn't like me. You know, it's like other people were in there, they were asking lots of questions and stuff. They didn't ask me anything, so they didn't get it. And I was used to that, and it was okay, because for me, I just wanted to feel 
after the Richard Branson thing, I I needed to tell to put myself in the same field with other people doing mm. what I was doing. And then about six o'clock, my phone rang, and it was the, the uh, a lady called Dawn, and she said, "We just thought you could use good news before you go to bed. You've won the competition." <gasps> I said, I thought you didn't like me. She said, what made you think that? It's like, well, you didn't ask me any questions. And she says, your pitch was so precise and so concise that they only asked questions because they felt they had to. Mm. But you did explain everything and they, you were a clear winner from the get-go. I was just crying. And then two weeks later, I had to go to London. Now, London was um, the, the London business show. And this was massive. And I had been chosen to go and bring to go and pick at the rock star um, um, startups, and this was in front of it was because it, it, it was open. Okay. So there were like chairs. I think there were at least sixty to eighty people sitting there, and this is the only second time in my life that I'm pitching my idea. And again, it was one of those you walk up to the stage and then the world just disappeared and presented my pitch. And then uh, one of the ladies said to me afterwards, um, are you coming back tomorrow? And I said, no, I live in Cheshire. I'm going back tonight. And she said, I need you to come back here tomorrow. I was like, because all the judges had already said, you know, it's like you pitch and the judges get their better. Brilliant idea. You know, we, we really like the concept. So I thought, well, I've pitched my idea and I've, I've done well. So why am I coming back tomorrow? I came back tomorrow and I found out that I'd won Innovator of the Show Award. I was like the best pitch that they had had that day. Amazing. And I came home. At that time, Boots had been in touch. Boots. Boots. Yeah. Then got in touch. And I had to go and pitch my idea to Boots. And actually, Boots, to be fair, no, I've I, 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 I I've gone too far. Boots came, um, I, I went to see Boots like a, a month before I pitched to Northwich. Okay. And... When I went to see Boots the first time, they liked the idea, but the fact was my idea was not protected. It wasn't patented. Mm. It wasn't trademarked. There was, I didn't have any money at all. So they said, you know, it's like, you don't have a patent. You don't have a trademark. You, we've got 2,200 shops, give or take. If we give you an order, how are you going to supply it? So can you go away? We like your idea, but go away. So I came back and I ended this competition and I won it. And at the London competition. And what did you, when you won it, what did you win from that? Was it the awareness, the credibility or money? So the Northwich competition, I, I ended that because there was a 2,500 cash reward. Okay. And there was also a year uh, of uh, legal and financial advice. Okay. And that was so, so valuable to me at that time because those, it was during the time when, you know, it's like I needed those things and yeah. I didn't have money to provide for that and the money obviously came in handy because you know it's like a startup business is a Just money goes, doesn't yeah it? absolutely so I then came back and because Boots had said you have to have a patent I already knew that patent for me was about upward of 22,000 pounds didn't have the money trademark I decided that I was going to get a trademark by myself I did that that wasn't not too hard mm. Went back to chat rooms and Google, tried to find out, you know, it's like patenting. If you can't get patenting, what do you do? How do I get past this? Couldn't find anything until one day, one person mentioned something called registration of divine. And because I was desperate, again, held on to this one word and went on Google. Say that word, say it again. 
registration of design. Registration of design, okay. And they said, this is a little known thing called registration of design. It can work in place of a patent and it's cheaper. And that's all he had to say to me. Ren went to my lawyer and I said, do you do registration of design? He's like, yeah, not very often, but yeah. And and I said, well, is it cheaper? And he said, yeah, it's, it's, it's cheaper. And I said, how much? It's like about 15,000. It's like, that's, that's not cheap for me. That's... Yeah. And I went back. And I took out six weeks, downloaded every single thing I could find about registration of design, read up on everything, and I went and I did it myself. Wow. And then I went to boards and I said, I've got a registration of design, I've got two awards, and I'm putting together a crowdfunding package at the moment. Will you work with me? And they were like, we didn't expect you to come back. You know, with everything that you're going through, we're really impressed that you've done this. So we would like to come back in February and meet Simon. They didn't tell me who Simon was because they come back Simon. to meet Simon. <laughs> so I couldn't research who Simon was because I, I like to do my... <laughs> Who's Simon? Who's Simon? <laughs> Went back in February 2016, walked in where normally we would be sitting in a sort of like a corner office and stuff. This time we're in a big meeting. There is two spires who normally I would go and speak to but then there is other six other people in the room and my chair is at the head of this table and I walked in and I stopped dead like a like a like a animal in headlights I was like what is going on this is Simon and he's arrived with his whole team so I sat down and the worst thing they did was to allow him to introduce himself first and he said I'm Simon and I'm the owner of original editions and I'm like I didn't say that to him, but I'm thinking. And he says, you would know me as, you would know us as Ilo. Ilo, <gasps> okay. So Ilo, Ilo is, the, is the biggest eyelash um, product in the market, would you say? One of the biggest, yeah. Okay. yeah. It, it, I, and I knew because I had done my homework, I, I knew exactly who they were. Mm. And now I'm sitting across from this guy who actually owns the company. And I'm supposed to then now be cool, calm and collected <laughs> and pitch my idea. Anyway, I got through that and he said, we really like your idea. We didn't know because like you, we were not told we were coming here to see. Mm. They just said, we want you to meet Cody. Ah, so interesting. So they, they had my pitch from me first. Okay. And they said, we want you to come to London. I went to London, sat down with them and they said, we would like to work with you. We think your idea is great and we think would do very well in the market and instead of being in competition with you I think it would be a good collaboration and the one thing that I found and I've, I've had a lot of horror stories about collaborations I have worked with ILO now since 2016 and I have never felt a company that puts it's a business and mm. they're they are in this to make money let's not make um, any bones about it in terms of being ethical and looking after my interests and being transparent and making me part of the journey of sellers, mm. I couldn't ask for a better company to work for. And there's always been, Boots has always been part of that journey as well because Boots facilitated this. And I think Boots would felt responsible that we introduced you to this company mm. and we're going to make that sure that they look after you. So it was... It was difficult because you can imagine 2016, and, and people always laugh at me when I say this. 
I came back from that meeting in London. I kid you not. I went to McLaren to shop for my car because I thought <laughs> I thought I've made it <laughs> I like that you don't sort of start kind of maybe like a Porsche no, and then you no. know a Ferrari and it's like straight to the McLaren. No, there was a McLaren garage in this one. <laughs> but this goes back to putting your picture on the Forbes magazine. <laughs> You yeah, know, and not where it's got you. So why the hell not? Yeah, but then this is this is again we go back to lessons from the canvas of not knowing. And most of the things that I did, where people say oh, you were so courageous, no, I, it wasn't courage; it was ignorance. Because when you don't know that you're going to fight AJ in the ring, you just go there thinking, "Oh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. have a fight." And it's only when the punches start coming, you think, oh, my God, this hurts. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. But I'm already in the ring. I'm already committed. So the best thing that I can do is stay in the fight and see it through. So how how long have you been involved then with Ilo and Silash? Like, how long has that kind of collaboration been going on for? So the collaboration has been going on since 2016. And the only reason that, you know, it's like, because, like we said, the eyelash market is a very, it's a very established market and it's the competition is fierce. Mm. And what both myself and I had always said was, we will not put this product on the shelves until we know that it's a product that is perfect. It's a product that I would give to my own grandma. So, and because it was a medical need product and I'd gone through cancer myself, I'd say my, my view was people who go through cancer have got enough to deal with without yeah. having a life that's going to give, it, give them problems. So we went through, we jumped through every single hoop to make sure, you know, it's like the, 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 um, the glue was hypolygenic. The, every, every single um, material that was used on that uh, lash was not going to give anybody problems and we made sure everything so it took us a long time from 2016 to 2018 i would say to finally come up with the lights that we're comfortable with okay that's why it only launched last year in february okay because it there were times when we said and thought is this actually ever going to happen because it, it was such a long time and every single time you'd go to a meeting and this again comes back to family because People are, so you, you've just told people, oh, I've got a contract with Boots. Everybody's celebrating. Oh, I've got this big company that wants to collaborate with me. Everybody's celebrating. Even though they're not going to McLaren, they're all <laughs> in their minds thinking we made it. <laughs> but nothing is happening. I go to meetings, and I'm in these meetings, and sometimes it's we're celebrating a full stop, a comma, and that's all we can do. Yeah. But it was it was hard, and I think that time for me was harder than any other time, because in, when people start to do something, it's easier to fail when you're trying mm. than to fail when you're just sitting on your hands. Waiting is hard, especially if you're a doer. Yeah. So I had to learn patience at the most inconvenient time, in a time when all I the only thing that would have kept me sane was to do something. And I can imagine it was all-consuming. I mean, you've not stopped thinking about this idea since you had it. Yeah. And like you say, this, the patience, you know, there's only so much patience you can have and you just want to start seeing results. And it was, it was worse than that. Not only were we not going to market, I wasn't 
they stopped me from talking about it, which I can understand because what they were saying is we don't want to go through all this time, all this effort, and then you speak to somebody and then they bring yeah. an inferior product to market, and then we we miss the you know first to market, you know chance. Yeah. So I stopped talking about it. By then, remember people had started you know taking me seriously and asking me I'd won awards and stuff. Mm. So people are asking questions like what's happening. And I can't tell them anything because there's nothing to tell because I'm not allowed to say anything. So I'm literally sitting on my hands. And I decided the first thing what I could do to stop myself being going insane was to go and learn because at this time I've got only GCSEs. I didn't have A-levels. I didn't have... I, 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 I sort of like I had to drop out of uni when I was doing a law degree. So I thought, I'm going to do a business course of some sort so I can have a better understanding of this world that I'm going into. Went to MMU, they had something called Smart Session. Signed up for that. And they sort of like, they had this six weeks program that we, we, we had. But most of these guys were, had companies that were already established. They were mm. making turnover, some of them million plus turnover. And I walk in with an idea that I can't even talk about. And and I say idea because it was at that time an idea because it wasn't a product because mm. nothing was on the shelves. And I just felt like an imposter the whole time because everybody knew a lot more than I did. Everybody just seemed a lot more confident, a lot more intelligent than me. But what it did for me was just like made me realize that, you know, it's like all these people are human beings like me. They, they've got blood in their veins and... They, they've got the same hopes and dreams as me. So instead of sitting here feeling intimidated, this is the best place to sit at people's feet and learn. You're empowering yourself. Absolutely. And every single time I would ask each one for a coffee and I will just not ask questions, I will just sit there and just let them talk. Mm. And I will just get so much knowledge. And because for me, I realize that there's a lot that I don't know that I don't know. So asking questions is absolutely useless because I don't even know what questions I should be asking. <laughs> so the best thing is to just go and sit with somebody and just listen. And were they supportive? Absolutely. And this is one thing that I've found in the business world. People who are doing well are so happy to help. Mm -hmm. It's only people who are struggling themselves that they think that you're trying to steal their yeah, thunder. Exactly. So if somebody is doing well... There's enough to go around. Absolutely. They don't want to build higher fences. They want to build longer tables. Yeah. And they always are embracing. And I learned so much in that time. Came away from that program. And then I got, off the back of that, I got an email in my inbox. And they said, um, we've got um, a competition going on. Um, you can get a scholarship from women in business. You can get a scholarship to go and do a master's at MMU. So... I emailed back and I said, well, I don't have A-levels or first degree. I can't do a master's. And this lady was like, we've always had you talking about how you wanted to do your, you went to go to uni. So just apply. And I was like, you don't understand. I don't qualify. And she says, you, you might not get the scholarship, but then you you don't know. If you, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. So even if you don't get the scholarship, you might be able to get and do a master's anyway. Because you want to know more about business. This is a business admin mm. course. So, and I didn't apply until the very last day, the day that it was closing. You like doing that? Yeah. <laughs> you enjoy doing that? <laughs> because it, it didn't make sense. I didn't tell anybody because, you know, why would I? Because this is never going to happen. 
So I thought, I'll do it anyway, because if I don't, I'll always wonder. Did it, send it off, it was on a Friday. Send it off, I literally sat there because it was 10 o'clock and this competition was closing at midnight. 10 o'clock, and it, I think I submitted about 10 to midnight. <laughs> submitted it, forgot about it, went away. And about three, four weeks later, I got an email. Not only did I get on the program, I'd won the scholarship. Amazing. I, I was just like, oh my God. And it was part scholarship. Now, the next problem is, where do I get the rest of the money to pay for the course? And then my friend was like, Cody, this is not something that happens to people every day. Mm. Find the money, whatever. Sell your car, sell whatever you've got. Go on this course because if you don't, you will hate yourself forever for doing this because the person that you are is not something that you can just... Mm. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. And then I did. And I have just submitted my dissertation. Wow. My final dissertation. So how long was the course? It was 18 months. For me, it took me a lot longer than that because I was supposed to submit in September. I, I'm, I've always... I'm, I'll be the first to admit I was... I'm never... I was never academically gifted. Academia is something that doesn't... Well, someone that's just done an MA, <laughs> there must be something going on. So it took me quite a long time. And also, I think the other thing, the biggest thing that happened was I launched Silas at the same time that I was studying my dissertation. Mm. And my dissertation was very, very close to what I was doing. And what was the dissertation about? It was about ethical marketing of cancer beauty products. Brilliant. So, okay. so you were doing that for your dissertation, but essentially you were doing business research as well, and everything was going yeah. to go back as an investment back into the company. Absolutely, and in 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 on paper that sounds like a brilliant thing to do because that's how my mind was working. Yeah. Like I might as well do a double whammy because <laughs> I will use this for the rest of my life in my yeah. company and in other places. Except academia is a bit different. You can't get on your soapbox, which I did quite a few times. So I had full stunts with my dissertation, because it was so close to me, cancer, beauty products, you know, it's like ethical advertising, you know, making sure people are treated right. Every so often, I would forget this is an academic piece, and I would go off into the wild and just get on my soapbox and just start ranting. And then 12,000 words later, I would have to delete like about 5,000 of them. It's not what you're supposed to be doing yet. But it was quite cathartic. Yeah, it was. It was, but it took me a long time. <laughs> so now, finally, I've done it. And, yeah. my God, it's been quite a journey. And now I'm waiting to find out if I've passed oh, or not. Well, wow. If I was to do it again, I would not touch anything to do with beauty or cancer or anything. <laughs> I, would, I would study the way birds fly <laughs> or something. Wow, what a story. Honestly, <laughs> it's so we're up to present day now. Yes. And where can people find the products? So Silash is currently at the moment it's available in bookstores. Okay. Um, it's just rolled out. So we started with um a trial in a few shops and I'm glad to say it's rolled out to a lot more shops now. It's available in more shops. And it's available online. Okay. And as of January, we're also available in Walgreens in America. So wow. for my friends in America, if you want lashes and you want to go to your own lashes, Walgreens now stocks the lash. And you still, you, you can actually order them online, Walgreens as well, on the Walgreens website. Amazing. 
Wow. And what kind of feedback have you had from um, cancer patients or people, maybe alopecia um, sufferers as well? The feedback has been amazing. I mean, I, I, I always say, you know, it's like there's one thing to see your dream being a reality, seeing my life is on the shelf. Mm. And, you know, it's like more than that is when somebody comes into my inbox and mm. say, you know, it's like, you know, this has changed my life. And there was a lady who says, you know, it's like my mom has been able to wear lashes for the first time in that many years. She doesn't, can't go anywhere without your lashes now. And we, we, I get a bit, there's, there's a guy who actually asked a friend who was flying to the UK to buy some lashes for her, for his missus in Australia. And he sent feedback to say, you know, it's like my missus <laughs> has been able to wear lashes. A certain lady had to sort of like, as someone was flying from America when they were before because she was getting married and she was like, I'm not getting married without those lashes. And then she sent pictures back when she was getting married and she's got those lashes. And that for me, from somebody who's going through the battle, is more payment than actually seeing my lashes on the lashes on because they are making a difference. So that's the thing, isn't it? Like you think, oh, eyelashes from such a superficial, oh, but you're changing people's lives. Yeah, and it's it's something that you, you know, it's like people say oxygen is not a big deal until you stop getting it. It's, I think it's the same with the lashes because for me, my lashes were just there and I took them for granted and I wake up in the morning and I, I didn't even use mascara or anything. I was just like, I've got my lashes and you don't, ever think about them or talk about them or look at them they're just there yeah and then they've gone and the one thing that everybody will tell you is your eyes don't stop running at all like constantly you're constantly getting eye infections and it's it's a lot more than just you know vanity and it's 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 yeah it's for 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 a lot of people it's it's a difference between staying in feeling sorry for yourself or going out with your girlfriend yeah, and having that self-esteem and your confidence and yeah, feeling absolutely. like you, which, yeah. you know, which I can only imagine that going through all the treatments strips everything from you. Yeah, absolutely. And just being able to have you back, to get yourself back. Mm. And, you know, it's like at that time you you sort of like you're burdening because you just, you, you, you're losing so much and so much that you can't control. Yeah. And every single thing that you can claw back is worth his weight in gold. It's a most inspiring story. And I literally have been sat on the edge of my seat waiting for you to tell me the next thing. Where do you go now? What's the plan? What are you, um, what are you hoping for the product? So the product at the moment, um, we're expanding our line. So we started with three uh, volume length and natural lashes. We're expanding online, so we'll be letting you know when things happen because something is happening. In terms of the greater... Um, the global offering, takeover. <laughs> offering of, of, of sea lash. Um, when I started, it wasn't just the lashes that I, I was looking at. It was just making beauty accessible to everybody because my company, so the product is called sea lash. My company is called Nakao. And Nakao means be beautiful too. So mm. it doesn't matter who you are and what you're going through. You have the right to be beautiful just as 
So being able to access beauty despite or in spite of whatever limitations you've got, I think it's a right, it's not an option. And people shouldn't have to say, oh, I can't do my own makeup because of this, or I can't wear this. We owe it to people to provide that. And there are projects that we're working on that are targeted at people who are finding it hard to look beautiful because they've got challenges, be it physical challenges or um, health challenges that stops them to be, from being able to put makeup on. So I'm not saying that you have to put on makeup. What I'm saying is if you want to, mm. you, the answer shouldn't have to be no. Okay. Amazing. And throughout all of this, your two sons have watched you. What a, an amazing example that you're setting to them. What do, they, what do they say to you? What do they think that they've seen all that hard work and all the refusals and going back and starting again and all the things you were telling me about? What do they, what do they see now from, you know, if they've got this entrepreneur as a mum? I, I think the first thing is, I think as a mom, the first thing that I think I've done is to protect my sons from, you know, it's like you want to make it rightly or wrongly, cushion them from realities of life, and which has been not a good thing because it's like I did that with my cancer and I did that with like the struggles because I share with them the highs of silage, but never on the days when I, when I'm, I'm, I'm not, feeling when, when, when I've, I've had a knock, I, I, me and my friends, we have got this thing that we go, well, cry in your bedroom like a winner. Yeah. Uh, so they don't <laughs> ever see me crying in front of them. But they see, you know, it's like when things go right and, and, and stuff. And my 19-year-old, because we, he's reached a point now where we can talk and everything, he does and he shares stuff on 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 Facebook and on, on his Instagram. And his he's life. very proud. He's very proud. Oh. My 12-year-old is like going on to theatre now. He's, he's very, he is proud because it's like, the, the funny thing is he would never tell me like he's proud or he, he sees anything. But all his friends know I do and know these things about me. And he was telling his friends that if you go into this, my mom slashes like oh. that. And our faces, your faces on, on, on the lashes. So with me, you would just go, it's all right. But you, know, okay, but you know yeah. deep down. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all. Well, you know, 12, 13-year-olds, you're not renowned for yeah. being that vocal. No, and, and the other day when, mommy, I was in town and I had people say sea lash. And I, and I wanted to say, that's my mom, but I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to. But they, they definitely said sea lash. I really? I love that. It's amazing. And... I mean, it's, it's what a great story is all I can say. Thank so you. You've just, I follow you on Instagram and you've just announced that you've been um, nominated for another award. What, what's that? So I was, um, I was nominated actually for three awards in the last month. Okay, yeah, that was, I keep seeing more nominations. <laughs> yeah, so, God, I hope I get this right. Uh, so I was nominated a, um, a leading ladies uh, and then there is Inspire Award. Okay. I was nominated for, and then there was the um, the Northern Power Women Awards. Okay. So yeah, I was I was nominated for three awards, and it's it's so 
and it's 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 never about winning because it's like you know it's like a lot of people are doing amazing things and I'm I'm quite okay with the fact that I might go to these awards and I'm not gonna win. But the fact that somebody took the time to sit down and put my name forward, that is just yeah, that for me I'm still having an impact and I'm still on the right track and I still have to because I I check myself every time because you know, I started with a vision. Am I still on the path yeah. of that vision? And I know business happen and strategy changes and stuff, but then do I still stand by that vision? And yeah, I would like to think, yeah, but then it's a new business. So ask me again in 10 years. And what advice would you give any women who are at the beginning, they have this nugget, this idea, this light bulb, and they think I'm not educated, I haven't got business, but all the things that you were telling yourself over and over again, and something just kept pushing you forward, what would you tell someone in that position? So this is, for me, I'm really passionate about this, actually. Um, people always say, you know, it's like, it's all right for people to say, I started business, you, you had a lot of money, you had that, we had money, and this, that, and the other. I was an immigrant. I didn't have a lot of money. I was a single mom. I had a job that didn't pay me a lot of money. And what I realized was, if you're one of these people that has got an idea, just start. Because the minute that you start putting ink on paper, you have started. You're no longer looking at, should I start or should I not? Your questions are, how do I do this? Mm -hmm. And then you do this one thing. That's one thing done. And then you're on your way to do the next thing. So people who have got everything, you know, it's like money, you know, privilege and, and, and business background and stuff like that, they don't have need to start business. They'll start businesses and, and they do because they've got opportunity. But people who've got nothing are the people who should be starting businesses because they have the problems that need to be solved. Mm. So if you're sitting at home and you figure out a way of how to stretch a two-pound meal to feed 15 people. That is exactly what the world needs now because that's more relevant to a lot more people than, you know, it's like how how to make a car go faster. Yeah. And if you've got that idea and you've, you feel passionate and if you've woken up three days in a row and mm -hmm. still thinking about that idea, it is absolutely worth doing something about it. You know, I, I would rather fail while I'm doing it rather than just see, because my dad will always say to me, and I didn't understand it this at the time, there is a lot of potential in the graveyard. Oh, wow. Yeah, and don't take that potential to the graveyard because you'd always wonder, what if I'd started? Because for me, what if I hadn't? Wow, what if you hadn't? That is amazing. And you are helping so many women and men. And I don't know if it's targeted at men, but you're, you're helping a lot of people. And um, I can't wait to hear more. And it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. A real honour. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank I'm you going so to put much. all your links on the show notes. So if anybody's interested and make sure please can get in touch please. with you. And thank you. <laughs> So that is this week's episode done. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'd love to know if some of the insights resonated with you or if there were some takeaways that you're possibly able to apply to your life. I would really love to hear your feedback and perspective on today's conversation as well. 
Perhaps we talked about a topic that sparked something within you or you have something to offer to the other listeners. Either way, I would love to hear from you. In order to help grow the Ambitious Mum community and allow the podcast to be heard by other people, please do rate, subscribe and share it across your social networks. This will really help with the visibility of a new podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under Coaching by Kate and do use the hashtag The Ambitious Mum Podcast so I can find your comments easily. So please do get in touch if you have any more to say. I'll also provide all links to my guests and my contact details on the Ambitious Mum show notes too. See you next week. Thank you.